Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Some of the Bay Area's cute little startups with funny names and baby-faced founders have now grown up into the most powerful companies in the world. And one way that they exercise their power over workers is the widespread use of non-disclosure agreements. In the wake of the Me Too movement, activists began to successfully agitate against the practice. Now former Google, Facebook, and Pinterest employee Ifoma Ozoma has been on a mission to get California legislation passed to protect workers who want to speak out about discrimination, regardless of whether they've signed an NDA. We'll talk with Azoma and California Senator Connie Leva about a bill to provide that protection, now working through the legislature. That's all next on Forum, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. When Ifoma Azoma detailed the racism and sexism she faced as a Pinterest employee in a Twitter thread back in June 2020, she did so knowing she was in violation of her nondisclosure agreement. Now Azoma is co-sponsoring a California bill to protect workers under NDAs who say they've been discriminated against on the basis of race, sexual orientation, religion, disability, or age. The bill would expand protections passed several years ago for workers who come forward about sex-based discrimination despite having signed an NDA. While no companies have come out formally against the new bill, it still faces an uphill battle in the legislature. And here to talk about her fight against NDAs and what it could mean for workers in the tech industry and beyond is Ifoma Azoma, founder and principal of Earthseed, a consulting firm and co-sponsor of the Silence No More Act. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So you've been a rising star in the policy world since before you even graduated from Yale. You were working at Google, then at Facebook, and and then at Pinterest. Why did you originally go into tech? Oh, that's so kind, Alexis. Thank you. I originally joined tech because I had an interest, and this is sort of perverse, but um, in privacy, and specifically in the third party doctrine of the Fourth Amendment, which is what I wrote my thesis on and what I studied while at Yale. And so I thought, 
you know, I could go to law school, end up in a ton of debt, or I could go and work at these companies who um, I knew at the time and wanted to know more intimately uh, were huge violators of privacy rights. And I wanted to understand exactly the way that policy worked from within the companies, uh, the way that they worked uh, with our local governments, our federal governments, and international governments. And I was able to do all of that. And I'm uh, thankful for the experience that I got because that's exactly what I'm using now uh, to fight the company. Yeah. I was about to say, I mean, what did you learn about how tech companies work to achieve their policy goals? I mean, you were at Facebook during the peak of the Cambridge Analytica scandal. I was. Actually, I was still in corporate housing before I moved into uh, my apartment after starting at Facebook when Trump was elected. And so I was on the Facebook policy team when Mark said that the company had no role in the election. Um, I was there for everything else that followed. And I learned absolutely everything from these companies. I was media trained. And so I know how to do things like this interview. From my experience at the companies, I know how to engage with policymakers. I understand the legislative process at the federal level and at the state level, which is what I'm using right now in co-sponsoring the bill with Senator Leva, um, Equal Rights Advocates, and the California Employment Lawyers Association. Yeah, you know, I, I want to get into, I'm not going to make you dwell on your experience at Pinterest, but you did end up leaving the company. I just kind of want to get the timeline down. You did end up leaving the company and signing uh, an NDA or, or non-disparagement agreement in this case, perhaps. And, and then what, what happened? Yes. So I, my last day at the company was May 20, May 20 something, 2020. Uh, And then I decided to speak up in June and I, I had thought long and hard and spoke to my attorney. And so I understood what it meant to speak up and to break both the non-disclosure and the non-disparagement portions of the agreement that I signed when I left. And the question I get often is, well, why would you sign these agreements? And the response I have is simple. I was uh, presented with the agreements and forced out of the company in March of 2020. We all know what was going on then. Um, And as part of the deal in signing the agreement, I was able to retain my health insurance for a few months. I was able to um, receive some compensation, though not nearly enough, as has been uh, reported. And that was the lifeline that I needed to, in order to um, to go on right at the beginning of the pandemic. And part of the compensation that I earned, and one of the reasons why I'll never regret signing the agreement or regret speaking up is what I ended up using to support my sister when uh, she was laid off right at the beginning of the pandemic. And so employees are often, and workers of all types, are often put in positions where you have to choose between your life, often your health insurance, your family's health insurance, and speaking up about unlawful activity or unlawful conduct that you've been the victim of. And that's not right. And when did you start working on this legislation, the Silence No More Act, with Senator Leva? We started talking about it. I first spoke to my attorney, Peter Rukin, who's an absolutely incredible human being um, and part of the California Employment Lawyers Association, 
soon after I spoke up in 2020. But we started uh, formally working on the bill at the beginning of this year, and then it was introduced in early February. And I've been working closely with her incredible team, um, the senator herself, and our two sponsors, SELA uh, and ERA, since. Yeah. So um, we do have a statement from Ben Silberman, co-founder and CEO of Pinterest, um, they're the only company on the record um, – this is me still talking <laughs> – they're the only company on the record uh, in support of the act. Uh, and Silberman said, Pinterest supports the Silence No More Act, a workplace protection bill that encourages transparency and expands protections for employees who speak out about their experiences with workplace discrimination. We want every employee to feel safe, championed, and empowered to raise any concerns uh, about their work experience. What do you think about Pinterest's support for the uh, bill? Uh, well, <laughs> I was on the team. I was on the legal team uh, on public policy, which sat within the legal team. So I know exactly who would have uh, crafted that statement that Ben provided. And I think that every company across California, across the United States, every individual employer should support the bill because if you are not conducting illegal activity and you're not discriminating against or harassing or abusing your workers, then this bill isn't an issue for you. But I do think the timing is curious. Uh, he sent an email to employees early, early in the morning, a few hours after a New York Times op-ed that I wrote was published on the bill. Uh, they've known about the bill for months. Uh, they have not sent anyone from my former team, including my former manager, who is still working there, who I filed uh, complaints with the state against. Uh, they have not sent anyone to speak on behalf of the bill. So I appreciate the support, but I, I do question it. And I think the most obvious follow-up to their support of the bill and to those uh, nice words that Ben provided in the statement is, when are they releasing former employees from the agreements that were already signed that have silenced many dozens of employees? And those are the ones that we know about. Yeah. I want to bring in another voice to this conversation. Megan Rose Dickey is a senior reporter at Protocol, which is a media company from the publisher of Politico that focuses on tech and who's been covering a lot of these issues for years. Welcome to the show, Megan. Hey, Alexis. Thanks for having me. Sure. Um, you know, the, the broader context for this conversation, I think, is, you know, we people who cover tech for a long time, is it just seems like the relationship between tech workers like Ifoma and the companies they work for is really changing right now. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, I think what we've seen just over the last several years is um, an increase in, in workers like um, like Afoma and like um, Meredith Whitaker from Google and just all these other workers speaking out against their, uh, their employers or former employers, and they're actually seeing real change happen. Yeah. And have you seen, like, where do you think that change originated? Did it originate sort of in Me Too movement or in the sort of long efforts of diversity, equity, and inclusion advocates? I mean, it's been a long time coming, um, even just thinking back to Ellen Powell's lawsuit against Kleiner Perkins. I mean, people have been beating the drum on these issues for 
for decades, for at least over a decade in tech at, at this point. And so I think in each in each instance, it's like each one kind of builds on top of the other, and that kind of helps to gain that momentum. Um, I mean, even in uh, even in the case of, of Pinterest with with uh, Ifoma and and her colleague uh, Erica Shimizu Banks, when shortly after they spoke up about racial and gender discrimination at Pinterest, then um, you know. Uh, the uh, Pinterest COO, Francois Braher, then she spoke out against uh, gender discrimination. And so like the more people speak up, it seems like the more other people are willing to share their stories, which I believe is ultimately good for for change in the industry. Yeah. Ifoma, how do you see your role in helping to lead this change in, in the tech industry? Well, I feel that it's a responsibility in a way that I have as someone who learned everything I know, or much of what I know at least, about policy from the inside of these companies, uh, everything that I know about the way the companies use their legal power to squash not only the rights of workers, but of consumers. And uh, to Megan's point about how uh, speaking up changes things within the industry, it's not only for workers. Uh, I made the point uh, in the New York Times piece that I wrote and in a number of other places where I've been able to talk about this, that this is important for shareholders. This is important for the hundreds of thousands of people across California whose pensions are invested in these companies. They need to understand what is going on, the wrongdoing that individuals are responsible for. And the focus on individuals for me is really important because we talk about the companies as though they're these uh, magical beings, but it really is individual human beings who are discriminating against others, who are harassing others and abusing others. And non-disclosure agreements and non-disparagement agreements are currently used to protect individuals and to silence other individuals. We want to hear from you. If you're a tech worker, how has your relationship with your company changed? Have you felt silenced by an MDA? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We'll be back with more after the break with Senator Connie Leva, California State Senator. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the Silence No More Act, a California bill that would expand protections for workers under NDAs who say they've faced discrimination or harassment. And we're joined by Ifoma Azoma, founder and principal of Earthseed and co-sponsor of the Silence No More Act. Megan Rose Dickey, a senior reporter at Protocol. 
And we'd like to add Senator Connie Leva, California State Senator representing the 20th District in the Inland Empire and author of State Bill 331, the Silence No More Act to the Conversation. Thanks for coming on, Senator Leva. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So I I want you to talk about the sort of infrastructure that this bill is uh, is building on, and that would be the Stand Act, uh, which was another bill that you sponsored. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Yes, absolutely. First of all, I just have to thank Ifoma and Erica for being so brave and coming forward because we would not be able to do this legislation without women like them. So I want to thank them and give all credit to them. And just also say that the Pinterest statement, I think that it's a little disingenuous because two women had to lose their job to get them to do the right thing. Just saying. But to your point, the bill um, would explicitly expand on SB 820's protections to ban secret settlements in all forms of harassment and discrimination claims. So as you're probably aware, 820 banned um, discrimination or secret settlements for sexual harassment, sexual assault, and sexual uh, discrimination. So this will just close the loop and take it one step further. And did that earlier bill, did it face a lot of opposition? You know what? It faced opposition from the chamber, um, which the chamber is always going to impose anything that they see is going to make companies do the right thing. Uh, So that, yeah. And they were the same. They're the opposition here for the Silence No More Act as well. Yeah. Are they actively opposing this bill? Oh, yes. Mm hmm. They um, they sent us a statement. Um, We did ask them to come on. And they said, in part, I'm going to read an excerpt from the statement here because it's pretty long, that they're not opposed to a big part of this bill that addresses settlement agreements. However, the coalition is concerned with a specific portion of the bill that deals with prohibiting confidentiality in severance agreements, which are discretionary and provide employees with monetary value. Without amendments to eliminate the litigation barriers, SB 331 creates for employers to offer severance agreements. Companies will be discouraged from providing, providing them at all. The people who will be hurt most by this provision of the bill are workers who can least afford to be without pay uh, between jobs. Um, They also say that they've asked you to amend the bill um, to address their concerns. How would you respond to them? They have asked me, and we have said no thank you. Uh, These are all of the same concerns that they had with SB 820. None of them have come to fruition. So really, they're just beating on a drum that they beat on a couple years ago. Uh, And I think it's very interesting that they would say in their statement that um, this would harm workers who could least afford to not get paid. Well, maybe if as an employer, you were doing the right thing, the employee wouldn't feel that they had to quit and they could keep their job. So uh, we appreciate their, that they oppose that, but we are not interested in that amendment. And, you know, when it comes to the, the Stand Act, um, the legislation that the current bill would build upon, have you seen evidence that companies are offering severance uh, less often or, or anything to, to indicate that? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. That We haven't seen any of their concerns come to fruition. Um, Senator Leva, so the California legislature um, is a bit of a mysterious place to me uh, in that it, it seems <laughs> like uh, I've been watching this bill kind of go through the uh, the sort of civic process here. Um, mm-hmm. Where where are we with it and where do we actually where would it actually have to get to to become law? 
Yes, great question. And I always appreciate that people ask that because if you don't work in the building, you really don't know exactly the process that a bill goes through. So the bill currently is on the assembly floor. Um, when I get back, uh, we do have a break um, for summer. I'll be back on August 16th. So it'll be heard at some point on the assembly floor after that. And then it will, if it gets off the assembly floor, then it will go back to the Senate because we did some amendments in the, um, in the assembly. So it'll go back to the Senate floor for concurrence and then hopefully off to the governor's desk. And, you know, throughout this process, it seems like the the complex thing is that bills, a lot of bills get passed out of one or the other uh, chambers and then they kind of die on the vine. (laughs) Um, So how does how does that actually work? How do you as someone who wants to get this legislation um, pushed through, how do you make sure it doesn't just die on the vine? Yeah, great question. I think part of it starts with developing yourself as a legislator, as someone who is upfront and honest, someone who doesn't play games, that when you introduce a bill, you have all of the facts in place, and there's actually a problem that you're trying to solve. And then sometimes, you know, you get it out of your house, and it goes to the other house, it may take you sitting down and meeting with um, the the folks in the other house who are going to be on those committees, making sure you address people's concerns, other members' concerns. Concerns, making sure they understand where you're coming from. So I think uh, really this job is a lot about relationships. Um, and when I say relationships, that's partly on the legislator, making sure that you have a good reputation of being someone mm-hmm. who is honest, forthright, and brings forward bills that are actually going to solve a problem. Yeah. Um, Senator Lave, before we let you go, because we know you have other responsibilities as a, as a legislator, um, if you had to handicap it now, do you think this bill uh, gets signed by Governor Newsom? You know, we never want to be overconfident, but uh, I do think we can get it to his desk, and I don't see a reason why he would not want to sign this bill. God. Great. Thank you so much, and uh, have a great day in, uh, in Sacramento. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Everybody have a great day as well. Uh, Ifoma, what's your role in this legislative process? I am on board as a co-sponsor, and that means I am supportive all throughout the legislative process in meeting with senators, meeting with assembly members. I've testified at every hearing that we've had on the bill. Um, I hired a lobbyist who is representing me legally um, and making sure that everything is filed properly. I am also doing a lot of the uh, comms work courtesy of the skills that I learned at the tech companies that I worked at. And to that point, I want to make a a, a quick point following up on one of the questions you asked Senator Leva after reading the statement from the chamber. We have made so many clarifying amendments on this bill already. They actually thanked us when the bill was up in the Senate Judiciary Committee for the amendments that we made that do everything that we thought made sense to help small employers across the state. So everyone from someone hiring a babysitter who may have a non-disclosure, a non-disparagement agreement that they provide to that person to the largest employers, we've made amendments so that the bill is easy to understand and clear and still supports workers. So it is incredibly disingenuous for the chamber to state that they would not be opposed to the bill except for this one bit. And to that one bit that they mentioned, the bill says nothing about keeping employers from 
prohibiting the disclosure of a severance amount. That's not in the bill. The chamber is opposed to this, will always be opposed to this, and they do not want workers to be able to speak freely. We want to hear from you. If you're a tech worker, how has your relationship with your company changed over the past few years? Have you ever actually asked somebody else to sign an NDA? We'd like to hear what you were thinking as well. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We are at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. A couple comments. Hillary writes, I previously worked for a company with a similar NDA policy, especially when HR is not physically in the same location as the hostile environment. It can be even more challenging to raise the complaint and feel that management will resolve it. Um, Megan, I want to go to you. How widespread is the use of NDAs in, you know, we it's come up a lot in the tech industry, but we also know it's used in, in other industries. Does the tech industry use these things a lot more than other industries, or has it just been that's where the attention has been focused? Um, yeah, I mean, based on some data, it does seem like they, it, do, it does seem like NDAs are perhaps more prevalent in in the tech industry. Um, I came across some, some data um, that, of tech workers are bound by an NDA compared to about a third of the overall workforce in the U.S. bound by an NDA. So it does seem like that it's perhaps more prevalent in in the tech industry. Well, and it seems like it sort of makes sense because the tech industry is producing a lot of intellectual property. There's a lot of fuzzy areas between what people are working on inside and outside of their tech jobs. It seems like the way that a lot of these NDAs have been deployed, at least the um, examples that have come up in the media, have been more around uh, discrimination within companies. Is that right? Yeah. And I mean, as um, as Ifoma has has pointed out to me before, I mean, there are there are other ways there are other types of agreements tech companies can make with their employees to ensure that they're not disclosing trade secrets or any other type of confidential information that could, you know, be uh, be relevant to their competitors, like their confidentiality agreements. And but with the the NDAs, they do seem to more often pertain to, okay, well, an employee has experienced discrimination or, or racism or, or some other or some other issue in the workplace. And then on their way out, they're forced to sign this NDA in, in exchange for a payment. So it's essentially like hush monies. Mm-hmm. I, Ifoma, you know, you have worked on a broader set of things, like some resource guides for for tech workers. What's what's in those and, and what's your hope for those efforts? I'm currently working on a resource guide that I'm calling the Tech Worker Handbook, um, which is a play on the employee handbooks that uh, I received at every single one of the companies I've worked at. And I know that many other people receive that say everything about what the company wants you to do and wants you not to do, more importantly, but nothing about your rights as an employee and nothing about your rights as a worker. So I'm working on that right now with a number of partners, and I'm excited uh, to have that be ready for the public in the fall. Um, I'm also working uh, on a project right now with Open Mic and Whistle Stop Capital uh, to scale the protections from the Silence No More Act 
uh, to folks outside of California via shareholder activism. And there'll be more to say on that later, but I, I'm really excited about what could come from this. Uh, to add a really quick point to what Megan said, not only uh, can companies use separate confidentiality agreements, they do. At every single company that I've worked at, there is an entirely separate confidentiality agreement that pertains specifically to IP and tech secrets, or and um, trade secrets that is used in addition to the non-disclosure and the non-disparagement agreements, which read very similarly to the ones that Harvey Weinstein victims talked about and that Bill Cosby's victims have talked about. And so the practice, yes, is used across the tech industry, but is also used in many under, other industries, including in the media. Yeah. Um, I want to bring in Dan from San Francisco. Um, Dan, uh, welcome to the show. And it sounds like you also uh, would like to talk about something outside the tech industry. Yeah. You know, one of the problems with NDAs is that they're used across industries, even even in industries like the nonprofit industry, which is subject to really high levels of transparency and laws requiring public disclosure. But just the fact that NDAs are kind of a default means that they're not just used by bad guys to do bad things, but they're they're also used by good people um, trying to do good things and then winding doing bad things. In my case, I ran an environmental nonprofit for a number of years. I caught a board member um, doing um, self-dealing and financial um, uh, uh, self self-dealing and financial conflicts of interest. I, when I reported it, I was given an NDA um, just kind of by default by these grassroots board members, good people, but they're not experts in nonprofit law, and and they kind of pulled an NDA off the internet which also included a bunch of do not compete language that basically meant that I could not work in my field anymore. I ultimately left and I left behind a big severance because that severance became hush money. And, and my point here, Alex, is that transparency and honesty is really the best policy. It means that board members and leadership are challenged to try and make things better rather than just find a way to put a lid on it. And the fact that NDAs establish a harmful norm of secrecy is really contrary to what we need, and, and really honesty should be the law. So I really am enjoying this conversation and, and, and just want to make the point that NDAs can do more harm in industries that do not use them kind of, um, you know, strategically, but just pull them off the Internet. Yeah. Thank you for that, Dan. And I think, you know, um, Ifoma, to reflect my own experience in media management, I'm actually, you know, when we when I was in management and we had some layoffs, I'm actually not sure if we actually did have people sign NDAs because it was sort of kind of a packet of default kind of papers, you know. Um, so if you were a manager out there in that situation, how would you, you know, move away from the default if that was something that you wanted to do? Well, you know, I think there's different components. And so obviously keeping a lid on trade secrets is really important. But when they're used just to keep something silent, which is the norm, I think, these days, then that's just fundamentally wrong, and we need to codify that in law. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dan. Um, Ifoma, how, how do you uh, see NDAs sort of inside versus outside the, the tech industry? Uh, the same exact way that Dan described. He's exactly right. I've heard from people who worked at churches that used NDAs when uh, they were laid off or when they were asked to leave or when they were fired. I've heard from people who've worked at hospitals 
that have used NDAs. And one really important note to make as part of this conversation for those who have never seen one of these documents, never uh, used one, never signed one, is that every single separation agreement, so when you're leaving either by choice or by force, that I have seen at least, includes a release of claims. The release of claims is what is most valuable to an employer because it means that you are signing away your right to sue them in the future. Outside of that, there is absolutely no reason why employers should be using non-disclosure or non-disparagement agreements to keep people from talking about unlawful activity because you're already signing away your right to sue. So what else is there? You could work for a company for six months and for the rest of your life, for decades, not be able to talk to your partner, to your family, to future employers about what you experienced. And that's wrong and fundamentally un-American in my opinion. Megan, maybe you could talk about this from the management perspective. What have you heard from executives uh, who've who've used these in the past about why they deploy them? Yeah, well, well, actually, yeah. Something that I wanted to um, uh, to touch on, which which actually um, Ifoma mentioned earlier, just you know, regarding regarding Pinterest and why it wouldn't release former. Um, why why it wouldn't release uh, people from pre-existing NDAs? And um, I did I did ask Pinterest uh, their uh, their chief human resources officer Marie Andel, and um, she just kind of sent back a statement saying, "quote I'm not on the legal team, but what I can say is that if we have a completed contract with the former employee, we wouldn't go back and amend it." End quote. So um, yeah, it's I mean that. I mean, take take what you will with that with that response, but um, it it's it strikes me as you know a way to ensure companies do this as a way to ensure that you know their reputations will will not be damaged. But you know, obviously there there are people who want to to speak out about these issues, and this is them trying to control as much as of that narrative as possible. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Megan. A listener writes. I work in legal contracts and compliance for our beloved tech overlords. The abuse of these NDAs is at the level of Harvey Weinstein and others. The misogyny and imbalance of power in the tech business world is particularly abused by executives. Thank you for your efforts, but one of the greatest problems is the enablement of these people by our best and brightest who want to be like them. We want to hear from you. If you're a tech worker, how has your relationship with your company changed? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. We'll be back with more Forum after the break. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the Silence No More Act, a California bill that would expand protections for workers under NDAs who say they face discrimination or harassment, as well as the just changing landscape of tech workers 
and the companies that employ them. We're tied, we have Ifoma Azoma, founder and principal of Earthseed, a consulting firm and co-sponsor of the Silence No More Act, as well as Megan Rose Dickey, a senior reporter at Protocol. Uh, before the break, we were talking about the sort of management uh, perspective and and why these NDAs are deployed and how. I'd like to bring in Ethan uh, from Berkeley. And Ethan, you do legal work for tech companies. Yeah, I do. Um, and I advise companies to have everybody who comes on sign an NDA and everybody who goes out, if there's going to be a separation agreement, people are going to get paid to sign an NDA. And I can tell you why that is, because I tell my clients all the time why that is. And it has everything to do with trade secrets and nothing to do with, um, I mean, really nothing to do with, with people trying to cover up wrongdoing. That's not to say that wrongdoing doesn't happen. I'm just saying, you know, when um, uh, Mrs. Zuma and uh, Senator Labor were trying to sort of pretend that all employers are constantly doing bad things and that NDAs are deployed basically just to cover that up, that's just not true. You can't get VC funding without representing that every single person who's ever worked for the company has signed an NDA. If you if you can't represent that, then there's endless discussions about why. Same thing if you're trying to sell your company. That's that's why everybody signs NDAs. I'm not saying there shouldn't be exceptions, you know, maybe under law for certain kinds of things that we want as a matter of public policy for people to be able to talk about. I'm just saying that's why it's done. So you see sort of the this sort of a negative externality of the standard way of of doing business to protect the sort of intellectual property of the company, and these are sort of things that have just been caught up in that uh, in that broader legal framework. By and large, yes. I mean, some some of these NDAs, incidentally, because I represent employers, some employees sometimes as well as employers. Some of these NDAs go, I mean, most of them actually go go way too far in, in actually ways that have nothing to do with complaining about wrongdoing, just in terms of what they define as confidential. But the purpose of them and the reason that they're drawn so broadly is because people want to make really, really sure that their trade secrets are protected. And that's because you legally don't have a trade secret unless you make sure that at very least that people sign NDAs who have access to them. So what about some of the high-profile cases where NDAs have been used to cover up wrongdoing? Like I would say uh, one that came to light a few years ago was sort of Google's um, agreement around Andy Rubin and different folks. Um, what, do we, what do we make of those examples where it has come to light? Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, I don't, I'm not necessarily opposed to narrow exceptions for public policy. In fact, California already has them, and I you know, incorporate them into the NDAs. So, you know, as long as they don't touch on trade secrets and as long, I mean, there also is, again, with respect to severance, you know, most situations where people quit or are fired are not situations where either side thinks that there's an an actual dispute. It's just, you know, things didn't work out, whatever, or the person who's leaving found a better job is more typical. Um, And in those circumstances, the only reason why uh, employers are, are asking people to sign, you know, uh, as Mrs. Zuma said, you know, the main reason is just a release of claims. But secondarily, the, you know, the confidentiality and stuff is just to make sure, OK, we're going to pay you some money. You're going to leave. We don't want to have to hear from you again. That's the that's the thought behind it in, in the general case. I'm not saying that there aren't that there aren't situations where there's wrongdoing. But when Senator Leva basically said, well, 
you know, if the employers were doing the right thing, nobody would ever leave their job. I mean, come on. <laughs> People leave their jobs for all sorts of reasons. Um, Ifoma, how would you respond to uh, Ethan's comments here? Well, I really appreciate the fact that Ethan agrees um, with the language and the spirit of the bill. In fact, I encourage him to uh, speak to his clients about going ahead and voluntarily adding the language that we have in the bill, which reads, Nothing in this agreement prevents you from discussing or disclosing information about unlawful acts in the workplace, such as harassment or discrimination or any other conduct that you have reason to believe is unlawful. According to what Ethan has just said, he's in agreement with that. His client should be in agreement with that as well. And if they all voluntarily added this, moving this bill would not be as hard as it is currently. But unfortunately, folks like his clients who are represented by the chamber disagree that this should exist at all. Um, Ethan listened, it sounds like, to a portion of what I and Senator Leva said, uh, but not all of it, because one of the important points that I made is that many of these companies have separate confidentiality agreements for IP and trade secrets, in addition to the non-disclosure and non-disparagement clauses that are included in separation agreements in order to keep people from talking about experiences that they've had. Those two are not in conflict. The bill does nothing to keep people um, from keeping trade secrets and from keeping anything else they learn on the job confidential. This is all about harassment, discrimination, and other legal abuses in the workplace. Um, Ethan, since you're you're still on the line, I want to flip this around uh, a tiny bit and ask you that you know we have a first jobs um, segment coming up in the in the second hour forum. And if you were a young person getting started looking at your first job and you're presented one of these stacks of of paper to sign, what would you say to a a person like that? What should they know that you know um, about what's in those documents? Conversation on a pretty regular basis. Um, You know, what I usually tell them is um, if they don't have negotiating leverage, then they pretty much have to sign what's put in front of them. And I explain to them, you know, what the consequences of it are. Uh, if they have negotiating leverage, then we'll negotiate some parts of it, but actually not uh, the parts that, uh, that the law is intended to address because it's usually not um, something that people are, at least at the outset of a job, are, are very concerned about uh, retaining. I, look, um, what I, I did hear uh, the full thing, and I understand what the bill is aimed at. And by the way, under federal law, uh, you know, in order to maintain your trade secret protection, you have to have an exception for people disclosing illegal conduct to the authorities, and that's in all you know all properly drafted um, uh, confidentiality agreements. There's no difference between an NDA and a confidentiality agreement; it's the same thing. Um, but that's what I tell people. I, I you know. There are abuses that, that we're not discussing here in standard Silicon Valley confidentiality and invention assignment agreements. I have to talk about them all the time. I hate them, but they're there. Uh, they have nothing to do with any of this stuff. Right, right. But um, they're, they're, they're overdrawn for a reason, which is people are trying to make sure that whatever comes up, that, you know, that the NDA covers it. That's, that's the reason for going too far. Yep. 
Ethan, thanks so much. very rarely, yeah. uh, incidentally, this is something I also tell people, they're very rarely enforced in a way that goes too far, like really, really rarely. Um, but, it, it, you know, what I always tell people is it could happen. Right. You, know, you could be the exception. Yeah. Ethan, thanks so much for, for your comments, sharing some of your um, legal expertise with us. Um, I want to go to Barbara in, uh, in Fremont, who also is – not inside the tech industry, but is dealing with NDAs. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Hi, how are you? Hey, good. Thanks for coming on. Sure, thank you. Um, I work for a contractor that works for um, a moving company, and the contracts have come up for renewal, and they have asked us to sign an an NDA prior to viewing the contract and say we will not show it to anyone. That does not seem right to me. Can you comment on that? Yeah. Ifoma, have you run into uh, circumstances like this, or is that sort of outside of your your expertise? Well, that specific situation is outside of my expertise, but uh, as uh, an analogy to that, I guess, is or a parallel to it, is the NDAs that people have to sign before they even enter the offices of some tech companies. Um, and reporters are presented with them all of the time. Uh, some of the ones who know to do so decline to sign them. Uh, but in that case, I would seek legal advice on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, few uh, Thanks, Barbara. A few listener uh, comments here. Uh, listener writes, my experience has been that speaking up corresponds with sudden performance issues so that HR can create a paper trail to undermine possible claims. I call this move the long goodbye. It's a go-to along with NDAs to keep us quiet. I have had issues and settlements with some of these big companies you've mentioned. My experience has been that HR is only there to avoid litigation and risk, not to support a healthy workplace. The cultures have become worse over the past 20 years, not better. Clearly what we are doing is not helping tech workers. Um, Megan, I, I want to ask you about this because there has been a lot of discussion in Silicon Valley about the role that HR plays inside of these uh, companies. Has there been have there been major efforts um, at any of the the big companies to to create a different culture around HR that is more supportive of the the employees rather than the company itself? Yeah, I mean. Especially thinking about HR um, in comparison to diversity and inclusion, I mean, I think there has been a greater emphasis on on companies actually separating the diversity and inclusion departments from human resources with that general understanding that, you know, the, the HR team kind of has different priorities and theoretically the, the, DN, uh, the, uh, the DNI team should be more focused on ensuring inclusion in the workplace and ensuring that, you know, things are, the, the ensuring that they're creating an, an equitable environment. And so I, in some places they actually have, they actually now do have the head of DNI like reporting to the CEO, which a lot of people feel is the better, is the better approach as opposed to having the head of diversity report directly to the HR lead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a listener tweets, this is a great discussion, but a bittersweet one as I struggle with speaking out about some bad experiences from previous employers, one of which no longer exists. It's the threat of retaliation and future employability that keeps me quiet. And Ifoma, I wanted to ask you about this one. Do you think you could get another job with a large technology company after the activism of the last year? Huh. 
Well, <laughs> would I want one, I think is the better question. And the answer right now is absolutely not. So that, <laughs> that's, that's, I think, all that needs to be said about that. Uh, I, to, to the retaliation point, one of the reasons why a bill like this is so important and why these protections need to be codified is that you can be the example. Ethan made, uh, made the point about, oh, you could always be the example. That's exactly right. I agree with him on that. And no one should have to take the risk of going to court against a billion dollar corporation like a Google or a Facebook. Or I think you mean trillion dollar. <laughs> Yeah, trillion dollar. Yes, excuse me. Yeah, and even if the case ends up being thrown out, you're out time, you're out money you didn't have, and that's not the responsibility of any worker. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, your uh, consulting firm's called Earthseed. You know, which comes from uh, Octavia Butler's uh, novel, The Parable of the Sower. And I was really curious that, uh, about the sort of the broader philosophy that's informing this, you know, individual fight that you've been making here around NDAs and, and with the technology industry. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up and for asking. Uh, everything that I do is inspired by her work and particularly uh, the work uh, in the two parable books. And it's all based around using the current system and using practical means to expand what's possible. And that's exactly what I'm hoping to do through the co-sponsorship of this bill and through the other work that I'm pursuing right now. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, this bill, um, doesn't have a lot of formal opposition, um, but I did want to mention that that we tried to get Google, Pinterest, the Chamber of Commerce, Family Business Association of California, California Restaurant Association, California Farm Bureau uh, to to join the show, um, and people didn't want to come on, even if they are not supportive of the bill. Um, why why do you think that is? That, that's a lot of places with full-time comms teams uh, who are all of a sudden uninterested in speaking up about legislation that they're actively opposing. Uh, and I think that says it all. They want to continue these practices of abusing workers without having to come on air and with their names speak to why they're doing it. And that says everything. Yeah. Um, one listener asks a point of clarification, which is just a non-disclosure agreement versus a non-disparagement agreement. Um, is there any real difference between those or is it just kind of two different ways of saying the same thing? They are used in similar ways, but they are different in that a non-disclosure uh, speaks to disclosing details, whether that's about treatment you've experienced or about information that you have and a non-disparagement is specifically about uh, the company, about the company's shareholders, about individuals. Uh, individuals were listed in my own agreement um, and that speaks to not disparaging them. You as a layperson, as a worker are supposed to then figure out what 
you say and whether that could be construed as disparaging the company. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we're addressing that in this bill, because no one should have to hire legal representation to figure out whether telling their story honestly then violates that provision of an agreement that they've signed. Um, Megan, we have been talking a lot about the large tech companies, um, but you for a long time covered startups. And do you think that a similar kind of transformation of the relationship between companies and workers is occurring also in those smaller firms, too? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not sure specifically around NDAs at, at smaller tech startups, but I would say that there is generally um, a growing movement um, among among tech employees in general, um, they're they're looking to organize. They're they're forming unions and they're coming up with uh, collective bargaining agreements. Um, granted, only um, I believe only one company has actually been able to solidify that agreement, but there are many that are in the works, and I think a lot of that has been. Um, a lot of that work has been inspired by people speaking out about these workplace issues, and I would imagine that we'll see um, we'll see employees in their in their asking for in their contracts to you know not not be required to sign NDAs, especially upon separation from the company, and to have guaranteed um, severance in, in the in the event of layoff. So I do think that we're seeing more workers speaking up about these types of issues and actually organizing around them. Yeah, I have to say, like, in if you would have asked me in 2010, you know, are any tech companies going to have, you know, unions or, or have organized in this particular way, um, it just would have been totally, totally shocking to me. It just wasn't the culture of tech uh, in, in the aughts to, to do so. Yeah, exactly. And and even um the the Alphabet Workers Union, um, they they found some success. So um in February, um AWU um alleged that ADECO, which is a staffing firm for Google, uh unlawfully forbid workers from talking about pay, and they even suspended a data technician for writing a pro-union post on Facebook. And actually, um, as part of the settlement, Alphabet slash Google promised to not silence workers who talk about their pay because that was something that they weren't even really allowed to talk to even their families about. We've been talking about a California bill that would expand protections for workers under NDAs who say they face discrimination with the FOMA Azoma, co-sponsor of the Silence No More Act. Megan Rose Dickey, a senior reporter at Protocol, and we spoke earlier with Senator Connie Leva. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour with guest host Rachel Myro. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.